Welcome, my friends. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Thursday, June 9th. We are here live. We're going to open the phone lines. Looks like calls are starting to come in already. So jump in and join us. It's uh, free for all today. Anything goes. Uh, no guests. It's all about what you want to talk about today. I do have a, uh, a short open, and then I'll get right to the calls. So go ahead and line them up, 855-950-3835. If you dial right now, I promise you'll get in, but it looks like calls are starting to come in uh, kind of heavy today. That's awesome. Today's all about you, but I do want to talk about this a little bit. I read this this morning, and I absolutely love this. One of my favorite authors, although I don't talk about him a lot on this show, is Seth Godin. I've talked about him in the past, and the reason I don't talk about him a lot, he's got a lot of books. Um, I've recommended some of them, but most of what he does is about marketing. That's really what Seth Godin is. He's a marketer. He was one of the first to really understand how to market on the internet. Way back in the days of AOL, he was actually involved with um, the AOL startup and a couple other things. He's been doing this quite a while. Um, he's got some awesome books. Uh, one of them, I, uh, we brought a bunch of copies to a CMC one year. We sold them out. Everybody loved it. He does have some really good kind of life and business lessons in all of his books, even though they're about marketing. One of the things we really don't do in trucking, we don't do any marketing. We should do a lot more sales than what we do. Sales and marketing kind of go hand in hand. But really in trucking, and, and I mean all the way up to the biggest trucking companies, do very, very little marketing. Sales. They do a lot of sales. That's different. So it's one of the reasons I don't, I don't recommend his books all that often. But every once in a while, I like to bring him up, talk about him. He writes a uh, blog post every single day, uh, usually a short one. Today's just, you know, six or seven bullet points. They're really easy to read. They have great little lessons in them. So check him out if you like what he writes every day. Go read some of his books. Uh, Maybe I'll put together a list of the ones that I think would be the most uh, useful for people who aren't really interested in the marketing side of things. But like I said, his books have great life lessons like this one today. I absolutely love this. So the, the title of this post today is, Are You Smart? I've talked about this before. Uh, somebody mentioned one time, I don't remember the comments, something like my IQ must be off the charts. And I said, I, I doubt it. Um, I've never taken an IQ test. I don't know what my IQ is. But my guess is that it's maybe pretty average, maybe slightly higher than average, but I don't think by much. But there's another type of intelligence that there's a term that's been used a lot called emotional intelligence. And really this post today, these bullet points are what emotional intelligence is all about. Sometimes it's hard to get a clear definition for that term. I think this today, what I'm, what I'm going to talk about is what emotional intelligence is all about. Now, I think we all know examples of really intelligent people who struggle in the world. 
I, I know many of them. They are absolutely brilliant. I, I'm just blown away by the power of their mind and just how intelligent they are. And yet they're not very successful in life. And that sometimes that really extreme intelligence is a handicap. Now, there are certainly jobs you could go do and be very good at. But life sometimes can be difficult for those people. They don't think the same way a, a lot of us think. I really, I would prefer to have really good, strong emotional intelligence. There's something else about the two, um, true raw intelligence and emotional intelligence. One you're born with, or I believe that anyway, that raw intelligence, I think you're born with that. You're born with a brain that has abilities that are different than everybody else. Like some people are born in music, just really clicks with them, even at an early age. Some people are really good at art. Some people are really good at languages. Some of that you're born with, and then you can develop those skills as well. But I, I think this really high intelligence is something you're born with. So you don't get to pick or choose that. But emotional intelligence is really, these are skills. So you can learn these. I don't think I can learn to be more intelligent. I think I have a baseline intelligence. We can gain more knowledge. And that, that's confusing sometimes, but I, I don't think you really change your raw intelligence level much. But you can change your emotional intelligence a lot. And when you see people who are just really good at things, almost anything they do, they start a business that's successful. They, you know, do sports or hobbies. They're really good at it. They get along well with people. They're very influential. They start another business in a totally different industry and it still works. They're still good at it. That's usually a sign that that person has a lot of emotional intelligence. They're effective. They're good at things. When I meet people like this, I, I, you can see it. I'm you know, always impressed by this. But the good news is you can build these skills. You may not be able to change the intelligence you were born with, but you can definitely change your emotional intelligence and build these skills. So he, in this... A blog today, Seth is just calling this smart. So here's what he says, and I love this. I've said this before about our school system and why it's it sucks so bad. Um, quote um, to the uh, to his post now. The title is "Are You Smart?" Smart is no longer memorization. It's not worth much. Smart is no longer access to information. Everyone has that. Smart is situational awareness, filtering information, troubleshooting. You hear me use that word a lot. Clarity of goals. This one, I, I'm, this one seems a little odd to me. Good taste. I'm not even sure how you define that. I'm going to come back to all of these, though. Empathy and compassion for others. The ability to make decisions that further your goals. That's the list. That's what SMART is. And again, the exciting thing is you can learn all of these things. These are all skills. In fact, I want to go through this list at some point and maybe break it down into the best books I know of 
that teach these things. Because all of these things you can absolutely learn. And I really believe that in our world today, this is far more effective and will help you be happier and successful than just raw intelligence. So let's go back through some of this. Smart is no longer memorization. It's not worth much. How many times have I said on the show, the problem with our school system, our government indoctrination system, is that they don't teach kids how to learn they teach them to memorize things because we base everything in the school system these days on standardized tests. So you look at the curriculum and they are teaching to the test. What they mean is they're, they're teaching kids to memorize things to get higher scores on these tests because everything's based on that. That doesn't teach you how to learn. And when you memorize things that way, they don't stick with you. You forget about 90% of the things you memorize when you memorize them with these kinds of strategies that they use in the school. We are wasting so much of our kids' times and not teaching them how to be effective in life at all. You forget the practical stuff I've talked about. We should teach them about money and investments and bank accounts and taxes and health, the real health. We, we don't do any of that anymore. Not that we ever really did much of it. Our health classes were a joke. We had no financial classes. Um, so our, it's no wonder kids coming out of school each generation in this country do worse and worse when you compare them to other countries around the world. We're going backwards in uh, our education and this could turn it around i really think this right here should be a blueprint for everything we teach in school now the and i'm going to go through these again and i'm going to take a minute just to talk about each one the first one i was a little shocked situational awareness i almost think of this as like a military term i mean when you you know the military uses this term a lot but it really is a, a, a very good skill to have in real life. And I will admit, of the things on the list, this is the one I'm the worst at. And the reason is, I just seem to have a very active mind. My mind's always thinking about something. And your mind can really only do one thing at a time. Forget that whole idea of multitasking. That's a myth. You can really only multitask when you've, when you've done a certain task over and over and over so many times, you can just do a pure muscle memory without thinking about it. Then your mind may be able to go think about other things. But for the most part, we really can only do one thing at a time. And you can only do one thing effectively at a time. So a lot of people who think they're so good at multitasking are probably fooling themselves that they're not all that effective. So my problem with situational awareness is my brain tends to always be like thinking about something and working on some idea or some thought or, and because of that, when you're thinking like that, you are not situationally aware. And I, I realize that I know that about me. Um, it's something I have to work on because being situationally aware is a, a, an important skill and even more important in today's world. Uh, we've got a lot of stuff going on. And what, what this means, what this phrase means is you are just aware of your surroundings all the time. You know who's around you. You know what's going on around you. You're 
aware of the situation you are in right now. It's a really good skill. Like I said, it's, um, it's used a lot more in the military, but I think in this reference, what they're kind of saying, what Seth is kind of saying here is be aware of the people around you and know your audience, know the room, that kind of thing. And that is a really good business skill. Uh, I think I'm a little better at that than I am at kind of the military idea of it, you know, being aware of your situation all the time, what's going on around you. But that's one I really have to work at. Uh, Filtering information. This is a really important skill in today's world because we are bombarded and overwhelmed with information. It's everywhere. I mean, I, I have information overload almost every single day. I, I love information. I love to learn. That's why I spend all my time reading and researching. And, but there is so much information now that it is just absolutely overwhelming. And because of it, I have developed systems to kind of filter that. I, I talk about my method of going through hundreds of headlines every morning, you know, in different topics. That's information filtering. I quickly scan through those headlines to look for words or something that might really be of interest to, you know, what my goal is that day. What am I talking about? What am I looking for? Um, filtering information today is critically important. And if you do a lot of it, uh, you should have systems. I do. I have systems to filter all of the information. I have journals that I keep. I have a calendar that I keep. If I get a show idea, you know, today when I'm scrolling through information or I see something on social media, I think, okay, when would be a good time to use that topic or that piece of information? Oh, that sounds like a, uh, a good topic for next week's pitch show, or it sounds like a good topic for um, trucking effic- technology and efficiency next week. So I put it on the calendar. There's so much information. We have to get good at filtering it, and technology and systems can help us a lot with that one. Now, the next one Boy, this is a topic I talk about all the time on this show, troubleshooting. Mostly I talk about it with trucks, uh, alignments. You know, we talk about troubleshooting on rolling tow. We talk about troubleshooting on the power hour. We talk about troubleshooting on destination health. I've talked many times about this is a skill. You can learn this. And it's unfortunate that mechanics, this should be their number one skill. When you go to a school to learn how to fix anything, they should spend the first whatever amount of time, a lot, on basic troubleshooting. The, the rules and skills around troubleshooting are universal. What I mean is a diesel engine is a universe away from the human body. The two have almost nothing in common but I use the exact same skills to troubleshoot the engine that I use to troubleshoot somebody's joint pain. Those are skills that you can apply to any kind of problem or situation. 
That's why they're so important. Yet we don't teach them much. We don't talk about them much. You know, going through my mind right now, trying to think of a book that, that is based on this topic. I can't think of one. Now, I could think of books that would help you gain some of these skills. The Seven Habits comes to mind again. Um, but I can't think of a single book that was written on this topic. Maybe I'll go look for one today, see if I can find something. If somebody knows of a book, let me know. Troubleshooting. Excellent set of skills. We don't teach it. Clarity of goals. God, how many times do we talk about this? Have a plan. A plan and a goal is the same thing. A dream is something completely different. Everybody has dreams. Some people have goals. Very few people turn those goals into absolute concrete plans. Clarity of goals. We don't teach it. Now, I could probably come up with several good books on this. I'd have to go back and look for uh, titles. I'm thinking... um, Zig Ziglar, I think, has a lot of really good stuff on goals. And then there is something called Smart Goals. Um, There there are programs out there on goals. This one, there's all kinds of uh, resources to go learn more about goals. It's everywhere. This one, like I said, the next one, I'm not really sure what he means by this one. Good taste. I have always thought that taste was really, really personal. Like some people love big, bold, wild colors in everything. I tend to be way at the opposite end of things. When it comes to color, I like very muted colors. But I always just thought that was some kind of personal preference. And I'm not sure what it really... I almost want to reach out to him. Maybe I will. Maybe I'll send him an email. I've, I've emailed Seth Godin before, and he's emailed me back. I don't know him. I've never met him, never talked to him in person. But I have emailed him a couple times, and he actually emailed me back. Maybe I'll ask for a better explanation of that one, because honestly, I, I really don't even know. I, I don't know what to do with that one. Um, the next one, empathy and compassion for others. This is absolutely a big one. And you can learn this empathy, not sympathy, empathy and compassion for others. This really, we should spend a lot more time on this one. Uh, I don't think I need to explain that. I think whatever, everybody knows what that means. Um, can I think of any books that might teach this? I don't know. Like I said, I think I'm going to work on a book list. Uh, a lot of these, nothing really came to mind right off the top of my head, but I have a feeling if I put some time into it, I might be able to match a book list to this. Uh, all right, n- the next one, oh, th- and the last one. This list isn't really that long. The ability to make decisions that further your goals. I talked about the book, The Seven Habits. I mentioned it a little bit ago. I'll, again, here, the first habit, be proactive. That's what this one is saying. The ability to make decisions that further your goals. You, everybody has dreams. Turn that dream into a goal. Turn the goal into a plan and then make decisions on that plan. That, that's really what we're saying here. Uh, this list should be the basis for our every school in the country. This is what we should teach first. When we teach math, we should teach math with this framework. If we teach science, we should teach science with this framework. Whatever we teach, we should teach kids all the stuff we should be teaching them in school, 
but we should also be teaching them how to be smart, not just how to memorize information. All right, let's see. It looks like the calls are coming in. So uh, I'm going to get to them. Let's get started in Florida today. Matt, welcome to the program. Good morning, Kevin. What's on your mind today? Well, I got a few things to add to that, but I'm, I'm going to start with uh, normally I call about uh, how good things are for me and, you know, kind of brag about everything I've done in life. Yeah. So I got to take it on the chin here a little bit. <laughs> 24 years in business. Okay. Um, my first, I don't remember exactly when, but first couple of months, I uh, rubbed the, the side of a car, changing lanes. 24 years, three and a half million miles ago, that was the last time I had an on-highway accident. Yesterday in Atlanta, that changed. Oh, oh, Just a little fender bender, but... Big accident happened in front of me. Cars went everywhere and just wasn't quite, didn't have quite enough following distance. I just tapped the car in front of me. So just oh, sprinkled the back doors, but nothing, nothing serious, no injuries, nothing like that. But kind of. Since, kind of put a damper on my day. <laughs> yeah, it certainly does. Um, you know what? And it's more of all of the hassle of it all that just sucks, you know? The, the money's not going to be any big deal. It's just it's just a hassle of all of it that sucks. We could apply today's lesson to this. Um, I think you were lacking a little bit of situational awareness there. That's exactly what I thought of. You, said that. <laughs> it, you know, Joel talks about that in what, an eight-second following distance. And, yeah. You know, it's yep. heavy traffic in Atlanta. And oh, I know. It's, it's I not know. easy to maintain a distance and... It got me. Yeah. Hey, you know, I, so. you, you talked about your first couple of months. That's when all of us are most likely to have an accident. I don't know if I've ever talked about this on the air. I know I've told this story at seminars a couple times. Uh, in my first three months in a truck, I had a fairly major accident. Um, actually, I wasn't charged with it at all. Uh, it, was a, it was a really weird day. I did P&D work back then, local city work. I had the day from hell. It was just one of those days. I chose to come in early at like four o'clock in the morning to do a trailer spot before I did my normal route because that's how you made extra money. I got back from the first trailer spot and the other contractor who was supposed to do one that morning never showed up. So they asked me if I wanted it. So sure, I'll take it. I went and did another trailer spot. Well, now that puts me late to get started on my route. But, you know, most days, no big deal. I can make up the time, except this day I'm just slammed with deliveries. I'm like, oh, this is going to be a bad day. And as soon as I start delivering, the, the pickup calls start coming in. It went on like this all day long. I mean, by the end of the day, I was going on like 15 hours already. And I get down to my last stop, Worcester Brush. I've talked about them before. They had so much freight for us. I looked at it and thought, I don't know what I'm going to do. I just had to start throwing pallets in the trailer, run them back. It's a, you know, two hour round trip from there to the terminal. And I'm going to have to make multiple trips. And I've already been working 15 hours. This is our biggest customer though. So I'm like, I got to just make this work. And I'm, I'm, a, 
I had owned the truck. Well, actually, I was renting their truck at the time, waiting to be able to buy mine. Um, so, and their truck was absolute junk. It was the yard tractor. So that's what I'm in. The thing's junk. It's like a 1973 white. Um, I come out from, I'm on my last run down at Worcester Brush. I've already made a round trip. I'm back again. It's like 10 o'clock at night or something now. I am absolutely exhausted. And I walk out to the truck. I have no headlights whatsoever. None. So I'm thinking, all right, I'm just going to go. I'm in a day cab. I'm just going to go get a hotel in Worcester. I'm going to sleep. And then I thought, you know what? Maybe it's just something simple. So I actually pull the dash off. Sure enough, it's a loose wire, actually a loose connector on the switch itself. So I kind of had to jerry-rig it a little bit, and I got it to come on, and I've got wires hanging out of the dash, and I can't even put the dash back together. So I've just got it hanging there. I'm just going to drive back to the terminal. I'm just done. I want to get home. I, I know exactly, you know, where it is. It's on 83 when Route 83 is almost to the exit there on 71 in Ohio as you're coming up towards Lodi. A lot of people will know where I'm talking about here. On 83, it's a little two-lane out in the country. It's got this weird steep little hill, and then it drops down and makes a hard 90-degree left turn. And there's a railroad track right there. So I'm coming up over the rise. I hit the railroad tracks, and all the vibration shorts out my fix on the light switch and everything goes completely black. I can't see anything because there's no street lights. There's no nothing. So I thought I need to get off the road a little bit, but there's not much room. I know I'm going to be blocking the road, but I, I got to stop because I'm almost at this 90 degree turn and I can't see it. So, and all this is happening fast. So I hit the brakes. I pull off the road just a little bit, like just got my wheels off the pavement and I'm on this like kind of incline. And as I set the park brake, I feel the truck start leaning to the right a lot. It was a really soft shoulder and it was like 15 feet down. The whole truck, as I'm parked there with the brakes on, just laid over on its side completely. Whole thing just laid over. Yeah. Yeah, that was my oh, first. Yeah. Uh, That'll happen. And that's, a, that's a pretty major accident. <laughs> Yeah. But, you know, I, I so, um, dispatch, they were nice about it. They knew I had been pushing all day long. They knew I, you know, I had called them and said, you know, I probably really shouldn't bring this back, but I'm going to try. So they were really good about it. It was totally non-chargeable, nothing on my record or anything. Yeah. So you, um, in the list there from Seth Godin, empathy and compassion was one of them. Mm-hmm. And you were trying to think of a book recommendation for that. The best one I could come up with, I was just thinking about it yesterday and actually listened to part one of it, uh, Dale Carnegie, How to Win Friends oh. and Influence Others. Ooh, you're right. That's an excellent book for that topic. Yeah, well, I was thinking of it because our, our friend Chris from Delaware. Yeah. He, I think he needs a little help with uh, trying to make friends. So I was thinking, uh, it's my recommendation to him is go read that book. And that part one, actually, 
fits his situation really good. <laughs> about not criticizing others and look in the mirror first. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, that's an excellent book. Thank you for that. That's a good one. Yep. So, yeah, that, that's a good one for everybody. And, you know, it's amazing. Uh, I think he started, it, it said it in the book there, but uh, 19, early 1900s in his young career. And yeah, it's, it's just amazing how, how old this information is, but hasn't changed one bit. It really has yeah, it, it really hasn't. There, when it comes to business and, and how to do things and how to be successful, the strategies haven't changed in a hundred years, probably a thousand years. The tactics have. You know, how we do these things all day long. Now we have text messaging. and But, but what we do, what makes you successful in business hasn't changed since the dawn of time. And that brings me to the next one of reaching goals. And I've been very good at that. And the, the biggest thing is just focusing on them. <laughs> exactly. And the biggest part of that is getting them in writing, whether that's even just, you know, digitally today on a spreadsheet or different programs. We've mentioned, you know, financially many times just mint. Right. Obviously, if you're a business owner using profit gauges or something similar and having a business report so you can actually measure any changes. Yes. And like you said, when you first released uh, fuel gauges and people started using it without making any changes, their fuel mileage got better. Yep. Just because they were tracking it and paying attention, something changed. We've proven that. I used to challenge people all the time, and they would call me back a month later and go, I, I swear I didn't change anything, and yet my fuel mileage went up. Yeah, I know. You did change something. You just don't realize it. Yeah, that, and that is a big part of goals is just measuring and paying attention. You know, one of the best explanations, um, and I have no idea where I read this or heard it, or but it stuck with me, and I think it, it really helped me understand why writing them down was so important, because I challenged this one. I, I'm like, wait a minute. You know, I have, what, maybe three or four big goals right now. Why would I need to write them down? I know what they are. You could wake me up at three o'clock in the morning, and I can tell you exactly what those goals are. Why do I need to write them down and then i saw the explanation it made total sense the way our brain works and as soon as i read this i thought yeah it's what i do every day the way our brain works we can only hold like a series of two or three or four thoughts at a time at the most i said you can only work on or think about one thing well i can think about one thing and then i can also think okay the next step after that would be this and then the next step after that would be this but most of us can only keep maybe three or four of those things in our head. So what happens is while we have this goal, our mind keeps thinking about the same three or four things. And you never get beyond that. That's why most people never get anywhere on their goals. But you write it down, and then when... Then you break it down into sub-goals. Okay, what step do I have to do to get to this goal? Now, once you make a step, you cross it off that list. 
you can't hold all of those steps in your brain and cross them off and remember all this stuff. So your brain will keep going over the same three or four things over and over and over. When you write them down, then you can work through them. And that's how you get to the goal. Yep. And that's, you know, on the financial side, Dave Ramsey, it's what he calls his stuff, baby steps. Not that it has anything to do with babies or just (laughs) small incremental things to do over time. And you keep moving up the ladder. Mm -hmm. And uh, I thought that was really great. Last week, there was a caller and he said, you know, he's, company driver, not even an owner-operator, but I remember what it was, like six years ago, he heard you have mentioned Mint, and he got it, and he went over his net worth, it was thirty or $40,000 when he first signed up six years ago, and it's going up every year just because he's paying attention. And he has a plan, and he's and got a goal, and he works towards those steps, exactly. It's really, yeah. it is, I almost said it's not hard. It is hard, but it's not complicated it's simple it's really really simple to understand all these things yes it is hard to do them all in the real world but it's much easier when you have a process and a plan like this have a goal write it down start to work through it It, this is stuff we really should be teaching to third graders well exactly it's i wish you know i'd have known this much earlier in life and somebody would have told me and I, every time my kids ask me for advice, and that's always the first thing I say is, well, just start writing stuff down. Just keep track. And they don't do it very often, but, you know, I keep reminding them. Not that I would have listened you know, as a teenager either, but. It's- you know, the, the one thing my son mentions every once in a while and thanks me for, and it's pretty awesome when your kids thank you for something. Um, something big and serious, and he, and he does once in a while. He thanks me for the fact that when he was growing up, I paid him to read books. No. There was, oh, yeah. There was so much temptation with video games and, you know, 500 TV channels and, you know, all the other electronics today and social media and it, that I even though I read all the time and he saw me read, I, you know, hoped he would just pick it up naturally, but I kind of noticed there's an awful lot of distractions in our world today. I want to make sure he gets that same love of books that I had. So I didn't push it. I didn't say you have to read a book a month or whatever it was. What I said was, I have a lot of books that I've read that I really like. They've taught me a lot of things. I have some books I read when I was a kid, just novels because I enjoyed them. Um, I, you know, sat him down and I said, books are really important and this is totally up to you. But if you ever decide you want to read a book, um, I'll pay you to do it. And I said, you come to me, you tell me which book you want to read. We'll talk about a price. And then you have to read the book. You have to do a book report and you have to do a presentation to me. So I know you absolutely read that book and you understand it. And then we'll talk about it and I'll help you get more, even more out of that book. And he did it. And, you know, it wasn't like he read a book a week, but he went through, you know, in his, during his childhood years, quite a few books like that. And now, my God, if you think... I'm good at reading or research or retaining. He can run circles around me. Oh. So that'll bring me to another 
book recommendation that was in Dave Ramsey's latest book, Baby Step Millionaires. And he's interviewed lots of millionaires, and I don't remember the number of how many billionaires he's interviewed. And he never gave the name, but he was talking to a billionaire. And he asked him one of your favorite questions, too, when you talk to influential people is a book recommendation. Yeah. And this guy recommended The Tortoise and the Hare. Best book ever written. Oh, you mean just the fable? The tortoise. Yeah. Huh. That's the a hare, good one. The, the, the tortoise always wins. It's, it's not about being quick and get rich quick and all that. It's, it's Abs- a long game. Absolutely. Slow. Wasn't the phrase slow and steady wins the race? Yep. As you were saying that, I had a thought. You said he, you know, had a certain number of billionaires that he interviewed. And the thought was for me, when did we have billionaires? I mean, it's not something now we talk about them all the time because billionaires seem to be all over the place and they all seem to be in the news. Um, Any guess or maybe, you know, maybe you're not guessing, but do you know who the first billionaire was and when? No, I don't. Because I know I've heard, you know, if we adjust for inflation, it goes back a long, long ways. You know, they'd be billionaires in today's society, but the, a true, actual billionaire, I don't know. Okay, so here it is. Um, John D. Rockefeller is historically known as the first billionaire in the world. The New York native was born in 1839 and amassed much of his wealth as a pioneer in the oil industry. He founded Standard Oil in 1870 along with his business partner in Cleveland, Ohio, of all places. Uh, His net worth at the time of his death in 1937. Man, he was a hell of a billionaire. $418 billion in 1937. Uh, Is that actual or is that adjusted for inflation? Uh, adjusted for inflation, uh, equivalent to okay, 2019. Say, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I know I've read that, that, yes, many of them, what we call the robber barons, you know, at a certain point in our, our history, but all of them guys at the turn of the 19th century, the really rich ones, they would be wildly richer today than anybody, than Elon Musk, all these guys. right. They had that much money adjusted for inflation. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a pretty incredible number. What well, else you got? No. Um, well, we could talk about my business report if you want. I got May numbers oh, put actually, in there. Actually, no, we're not. My God, I don't think I've ever seen this many phone calls. Um, I got to cut you loose. Okay. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I'm going right. to cut you loose. Uh, we're just chatting away. I got all kinds of calls, which is awesome. Keep them coming. I'll stay here as long as we've got calls. Let's go to uh, Indiana. Frank, welcome to the program. Good morning, Kevin. Hey, I've, I was on vacation back at the end of April and early May, so I've been catching up on a lot of shows through the app. Uh, so got some various questions for you. Okay. Uh, before I get to my question, the first comment, the I've never been tested for the cilantro gene, but I don't like cilantro, but I do like the cardio miracle. Oh, okay. You're the, I so, think so far you're the first one. 
so far it was pretty standard if people didn't like cilantro they didn't like cardio miracle either and that's and that's why i wanted to let you know that yeah. because i yeah. was hearing all these people calling saying it uh now cilantro does not taste like soap to me so i may not have that gene it's just it's just very bitter and now, i don't enjoy it but i do like the cardio miracle Got it. So one of the things that I found out was um, stevia is the sweetener we were talking about. That's what's in Cardio Miracle. Um, People are either sensitive to that sweetener or they're not or they don't like it. I honestly, I'm not a huge fan of stevia. If I'm going to use a zero calorie sweetener, that is the one I would use. And I actually like kind of a mix of that and some erythritol. But I I use the... I usually stay away from it. I usually just either don't sweeten things or I sweeten them with something natural like honey or maple syrup and just deal with the carbs. But there are some products over the years that uh, Lily's Chocolate, I think I mentioned, absolutely love their chocolate and I get no weird sweetener taste in it at all. Um, A lot of products with stevia, I get a weird taste and I don't like it. And then I wondered, why is it that certain products I don't? And I thought maybe it's because the chocolate covers it up. And then in the Cardio Miracle, I don't get that weird stevia taste at all. Not even a little bit. Well, what I learned was there are different ways of processing stevia. And it, or stevia, or however you say it. I don't know which one's right. Um, There are a lot of bitter compounds in there. Some ways of processing it get rid of certain bitter compounds. So I think that's why it's kind of all over the board. Some people like it. Some people hate it. Some products it works. Some products it doesn't. Sometimes you get an aftertaste. Sometimes you don't. And it really looks like it all comes down to how they process it. So that, you know, in, Interesting. in, yeah, in, in certain products, like I said, I just don't taste it at all. Well, well, what I actually called about, uh, and it may have been Matt that I heard on a show a couple weeks ago when I was trying to catch up, is I-bonds. Yeah. Uh, How does that work? You You always hear people talk about bonds are a safe investment and stuff like that. And like right now, I-bonds are showing a 9.62 rate. Correct. Uh, do you have to hold them for a certain amount of time? Because best I was seeing is that if you if you sold them, say if you bought today, and then you sold before you had them for eighteen months, you might lose the last six months of interest or return or something like that. This uh, is right. It, this is one of those topics that it. The more I talk about the details, the more confused people will get. So. Okay. You know, and it, it's not that I don't want to answer people's questions. I do want you to understand this before you invest in them. You should understand it. There are some really good Q and A's or, or FAQs online I've seen about I bonds. Um, I, I think Fool dot com has some good stuff if I remember right. Uh, I know a couple of the investing websites I've been on, I've read some really good stuff. Uh, What I tell people is this is a good idea. If you have money around, especially in today's world, although if we're heading into this talk of 1970s, you know, style stagflation, 
it's possible that CDs might become a really good investment. So, you know, I'm holding some cash back in case that does happen. But you can you you can buy these bonds. They do pay that rate. That's an annual rate. So it's not like you can buy them and then you immediately get, you know, nine plus percent interest. That's that's what you would earn annually on these bonds when you hold them. Um, The biggest downside to them is you can only buy so many. Um, I, I just read something and I know I read this before, but I forgot all about it. And it's so bizarre. And this is the goofy stuff that makes me crazy with the government. So listen to this. Investors can buy up to $10,000 worth of I-bonds annually through the government's Treasury Direct website. Uh, You can purchase, this is the part that makes me crazy. You can purchase another $5,000, but only with your tax refund. What a stupid thing to do. (laughs) My God, if you're willing to sell me the damn bonds, just sell me the damn bonds. Why do I have to do I don't get yeah. a tax refund. I don't want to get a tax refund. If I get a tax refund, that means I just made you, the government, a $5,000 interest-free loan for the year. I'm trying to buy these bonds so I can earn the interest, not you. So when they put right. these stupid rules on there, yeah, you can buy five, and $5,000 more is a lot. It's 50% more. But I have to have a tax, uh, I'd have to have a $5,000 tax refund to be able to buy it. That's the stupid shit about government that makes me crazy. But I went off on a rant, sorry. <laughs> so here's, here's an idea for that. You, you wait and at the, the last quarter, uh, through the end of the year, you send in a bunch of yep. extra money. You're right. That extra 5000 <laughs> yep. and then it's not a full year. It's not a full year loan. (laughs) Honestly, you could make that payment on April 15th if you want. True. You could, on April 15th, you could send them a check for $5,000 more than, than, you know, you could work, you could already have your tax return done. You figure out how much you're going to owe them, add $5,000 to it, make the payment on April 15th, send the tax return in, now you have a $5,000 refund. But why do we have to jump through hoops like that? Just sell me the damn bonds. <laughs> exactly. And, and that's what I was trying to figure out. Uh, I, I did some, some quick research, what I could find. Because like you said, there's, there's a bunch of information, and I was kind of getting information overload. Yeah, yeah. And so I was trying to see if there was a way to simplify it. But you know with everything you going on, you know why you can't it seems simplify like, it? It seems like it's a pretty safe investment. Oh, it is. It's a very safe investment. Because it's the government? Yeah. The, I mean, unless the United States goes bankrupt, you're fine. And if the United States does go bankrupt, the last thing you have to worry about is those damn bonds. Um, so, yeah. It's a, right. it, and that's why I tell people, yes, you should go do the research. If you have a financial advisor, go talk to them. Let them explain them to you. If you don't have a financial advisor, go someplace like fool.com and read. But it will be information overload, and you won't be able to simplify it. And you know why? It's the government. Exactly. That's exactly right. <laughs> it's going to be complicated because it's the government. Uh, that just that frustrates me how they have to overcomplicate everything. Everything, just that five thousand dollars extra. 
You're willing to sell me the bonds. Just sell them to me. Don't make it so damn complicated. Right. And Okay, well, that's what I had for now. I've got other questions. I'll let you go. Let's think about something. I'm going to rant a little more about the government. Isn't the whole point of selling (laughs) people these types of bonds to help them be more financially secure? You would think so. Yeah, that's kind of the point. And, And then shouldn't we want people to know how to manage their money better? That, that's the whole point of this. But yet they're encouraging people to have a $5,000 tax refund at the end of the year. That's bad financial advice. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. Uh, and I, I think on the surface, they, they want you to think that they want you to, to be able to save. But in the end, they just want, to, they just want to be able to use that money. Exactly. And they don't care yeah. what, you're, what you're really doing, yep. but they want it on the surface to look like they want you to, to save. Yep, exactly. Well, thank you, and I'll let you get on to the next caller. All right, thanks for the call. Let's, where are we going this time? Right here in Oregon. Eric, welcome to the program. Oh, man, what a show today. Um, I wanted to talk back about capacitive batteries again. Remember I was uh, talking to you about putting uh, car stereo amplifier uh, capacitors in, in place of a regular battery? Yes. Do you remember that conversation? I do. Okay, so uh, when, I, when I did that initially, uh, my voltage drop before the swap, my voltage drop on my batteries during the start process uh, would vary anywhere from 10.4 volts up to about 11.2 volts. And, I mean, it, it, it was all over the board. There was no telling when it was going to happen. Okay. Uh, after putting the batteries in, the, uh, the, the, the gap shrunk quite a bit. I mean, it was one capacitive battery, but the gap shrunk quite a bit. Uh, it's 10 point, uh, I mean, 11.2 to 11.4 uh, voltage drop when uh when you start the vehicle now oh so not Um, only did did you notice a uh not only did it get better it got very consistent it got consistent it didn't get much better it got a little better but it it, It, it got it's a lot more consistent yeah uh it does turn over a lot faster now uh than it did not quite what uh what i've heard the maxwell start module do uh, so what I think I'm going to do is take another battery out and put another, like, these things are like 350 bucks. Really? So I think I'm going to put two of them. Yeah, group 31. Yeah. Wow. Um, I'm going to put two of them in my battery box and put a uh, uh, battery back in the back and then run a wire to now, it. Refresh to, my memory. Uh, is, this, is this kind of a hybrid battery? Are we combining kind of a traditional battery with... Um, with capacitors? Well, no, this is, this is nothing but a capacitive battery. It's one big capacitor. It's a bunch of little capacitors inside of a group 31 case, which is basically what all these start modules are. So are you, are you wiring this like you would wire a start module? Are you wiring it like a traditional battery? Wiring it like a battery because it only has two posts on it. But it doesn't. It's designed it, for car. But it doesn't have any real capacity, it does it? 
Uh, it's got about 30 seconds or so of capacity in it. I, I was going to say, um, one time, I don't remember why this happened. We were working on one of my trucks at the CMC. I don't remember if we used it for a demonstration because we used to, one of the days we would demonstrate you know, installs and all the products, the OPS and the start module, and we'd show people how to put them in and go through demonstrations of how it started. And I think we used one of my trucks and throughout the process, something got changed and they wired the um, start module wrong. And I could just turn the radio on in the truck and my voltage would drop to almost nothing because they had the capacitor wired in like a traditional battery. I think that's because of the uh, the hardware that they had set up and the wiring internal to the to the start module. Okay. So in the maybe way I'll we, check that out when I get in the way we use a start module, I'll, I don't think you could have two of them, could you? I don't know. Oh no! You can definitely have two of these. These these are built for car stereos. So it's like a um, an amplifier during the bass punch will draw a lot of amperage. It I mean it just it it pulls it as fast as fast faster than the uh, than the alternator can put it out. Got it. Okay. Um, and to make to make the car stereo sound better they put these capacitors in there so that it's got the voltage that it needs without the voltage to, drop to respond plus a little plus a little bit of extra. yes right so it, it it allows uh the same voltage at more amperage got it okay and people people wire five six seven of the, the one th- or uh, uh 100,000 farad ones together all the time huh, uh, what okay. this is is just a uh a great this now, is a group 31 let, battery size case now let me also ask you this if are you pulling out one of your traditional group 31 batteries to put one of these in i did yes so don't you lose so all those four, four north stars all those went, amp hours i do okay okay all right but like I said, I'm getting ready to, uh, I think what I'm going to do is go ahead and buy another one and then take the other North Star that I've got that I pulled out to put this one in and then take the uh, North Star that I'm going to pull out to put the next one in and then put a two, two battery bay box in the back. Okay. Got it. Yeah. And then I'll, I'll update you with uh, more information on it. Cause I mean, if this is, if this is a proper solution, then it'd be awesome. Yeah, it would. Um, the, the Maxwell doesn't even exist anymore. When it did, it was about a thousand bucks. The other one, I always have, forget the name of the Skeletor. I know that's not right, but, um, there's that other German company out there, but, um, theirs is like $1,800. Uh, they're not cheap. Yeah. And if, yeah. And if you can get them to answer that damn phone. Well, that too, you're right. I can't get them to answer emails either. Yeah. They, yeah, they don't. It's like they don't want to sell to anybody in the they, U.S., even though they have a U.S. market. But yeah, they're, uh, they're, they're all over Germany. They're not interested in in talking to us about distribution. We've tried. 
Well, this, like I said, this might actually be a uh, solution if anybody wants to move a couple of batteries. Well, uh, but uh, I'm going to do some more tests, and I've been testing this one for about three months now, and it seems to be working out pretty good. Excellent. And um, I think I'm going to, like I said, put put two more, remove the two North Stars to the back, and then put one more in and see what happens. Excellent. All right. Keep us updated. Absolutely. Okay. Talk to you soon. Good stuff. We're geeking out about all kinds of weird things today. I love it. Uh, let's go to Washington. Dave, welcome to the program. Hello, Kevin. Um, I uh, I have new tires. I got uh, all new drives, Michelin X line, and then I just got brand new uh, Goodyear Endurance on my steers. And I got my alignment done, and everything is running beautifully. It's smooth and almost running like a brand new truck at almost a million miles. Excellent. But unfortunately, yesterday, uh, I woke up and I'm coming back to my truck, and my steer tire is flat. Oh. I find a screw on it. Uh. So that brand new tire, <laughs> I find a screw on it. Now I had to decide. Uh, what I have to do with it. And I called around the shop in Klamath Falls and uh, I couldn't even find a Goodyear Endurance. And so, um, uh, one of the uh, local shops, uh, they came, I showed them the picture of the tire and everything, and they came up with the closest one. And it was a Toyo M177 to match my Goodyear Endurance. Okay. So I'm wondering, I'm wondering, they're both new tires. Should I, Go and buy another Goodyear and save that Toyo for later, or can I, do you think I could ride those two together? I thought you said you can't get the Goodyear. Well, well I could get it now, but I couldn't get it while I was broke down in in uh, in Klamath oh, Falls. No, oh, no so one had it. You already bought the Toyo. Yes, to you know, fix it and to keep rolling. Okay, if you've listened to me in the past, I've I've explained that. It won't hurt anything at all to leave that Toyo on there. You're, you're just fine. I've said it would make me crazy because I, I think I'm OCD about tires. But I would say in this case, that tire is so new, your other one, I would just leave these two alone. Mm-hmm. I would not go spend all the money you've got to spend on a tire today. The prices are outrageous. I would leave this alone. It's not going to cause any problems. You'll be fine. Oh, okay, good. Yeah, because when I was there, you know, it was uh, uh, luckily it would only it only cost me six hundred fifty dollars to replace it. Only, and, uh, I want you and, to think and, about that. Only, I think there was a time I might have paid six hundred and sixty dollars for a wide single. Six hundred and sixty dollars <laughs> for a steer yeah. tire is a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, and so and, but. but, but this yeah. case, in a case like this, even I would set my OCD aside, and I would just keep this tire. Okay, because you know I priced the 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 the, the Goodyear tire, and at TA they're going for eight hundred fifty dollars. Oh right yeah, now. don't do it. Don't so, do it. Okay. Okay. So yeah, so my I have OCD, and I thought that it was you know I thought it was pulling to the right a little bit. Maybe it was, but I think that's just my imagination because yeah. of the yeah. thought they're different tires. So, yeah, so that's what happened. It'll be fine. I, I would not go spend another. Okay. And, and he, now here's the thing. If you could find somebody to give you 
boy, I'd almost have to get 600 bucks out of that tire I already had. If I could find somebody to give okay. me 600 for that one, I'd go pay 850 for the good year to ease my OCD. But if somebody offered me 500, I'd probably say no. Oh, okay. All right. All right. I know what to do now. <laughs> I was, that's kind of like, what would Kevin do question? <laughs> that, that's, I, I, if I thought um, I could sell it for 600, I would, if it's anything less than 600, I'd just keep it. Okay. All right. Uh, I have a quick, another quick question. So my business card, uh, I have a chase business card and I've been purchasing everything like repairs and whatever on that card with well, that card expired. And now I'm using my personal card a Cabela's credit card. So is there a difference between using uh, one or the other? Because with the uh, Cabela's credit card, I get points. No, there's no difference in credit cards, loans, whether it's put in the business name or your personal name. None of that matters. So whatever credit card you want to use for your business, whether it's a personal or it says it's a business card, it doesn't matter. I, I, we, I, I don't, we only have a couple credit cards. We just don't use credit cards a lot. Um, but in our business, we don't, we, we pay for everything we order at the time. And I swear that screws a whole bunch of businesses up because nobody's used to that. Everybody is used to in business. Most, you know, you have business credit, your vendors, you know, send you an order and then they send you an invoice and you pay the invoice. Well, we just would prefer to pay for stuff right when we order it, not later on. So the easiest way to do that is with credit cards. So we always use whatever card at the time gives us the most points. And I'll tell you what, when you start using a credit card for everything your business buys, especially us, because we buy products wholesale and then sell them. We go through a lot of product. We get insane amounts of points on that credit card. Uh-huh. Yeah, so, I, and I'm getting nothing on my uh, Chase uh, ATM debit card. Oh, yeah, use, so, use. So, I, let, me, let me ask you something. And I, I have a feeling I already know the answer just from what I've heard so far. It sounds to me like you're pretty responsible financially. Yes, because I, you know, like on my business card, I, I got over 80000 and I don't know what to do with that money, <laughs> you know, so, and I, I'm trying to avoid paying taxes. So I'm trying to put it into like 401ks and loss and all that. And I'm trying to, I'm trying to get that done. Excellent. Excellent. So, so uh, here, I, yeah, I, the reason, yeah. the reason I ask that, and this is somewhere, you know, a lot of people who call the show mentioned Dave Ramsey. I've been promoting Dave Ramsey's stuff for as long as I can remember, decades. Love what he teaches. Doesn't mean we agree on everything. He takes a hardcore stance on credit, credit cards. You never use it no matter what. And he's not wrong. If you take that advice, you could never go wrong. It's really good advice. I tend to be more of a risk taker than that. So I hear that advice, I listen to it, I know it's good, and then I look at credit cards and go, but wait a minute, if you have some discipline and you can play their game, you can win instead of them. The credit card companies win because they give everybody credit cards, everybody goes and uses them, and they make a billion dollars in interest. 
But the other game you can play is never, ever carry a balance on that credit card, but use the hell out of them to get all their points. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm doing. Exactly. Right. <laughs> you know, so I get free stuff at Cabela's. <laughs> right. Yeah. Or I just get cash. Yeah. I, you know, we every quarter, uh-huh. we just turn in all of our points and we split them among um, the three employees. Some quarters, we take all the money. We go buy gifts for our employees. It, it's like free money. Okay. So, so the IRS don't care if you're, or, you know, that you're using your debit card that, cause that's specifically designed for my business. Yeah. It doesn't matter at all. doesn't matter at all. Okay. Okay. So yeah, that's uh so that's what I'm, I'm doing. And, uh, you know, I got all this money and I'm trying to buy a home. Um, uh, and, um, right now I'm just waiting yes. <laughs> because it's so high. Yes. Please wait. So please wait. Okay. Okay, I will. <laughs> now, what you should right, be well, doing uh, during, during that uh-huh. waiting time, every day uh-huh. just about, or at least every week when you have time, you should be going through all of the real estate listings in the area you're interested in so that you become the expert on, on prices in that area. Okay. Uh, I'm kind of looking at Oregon, like in Chiloquin. Those properties are, that are really cheap right now where I could park a truck. That's the most important thing is where I can park a truck without being bothered. What city or what um, town? Uh, uh, Chiloquin, Oregon. Where is that? Right, Lake, Lake uh, Klamath, like almost just north of Klamath Falls. Oh, way down south. Okay. Yeah. 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 Oh, beautiful area. Yeah. Love it down there. But just, yeah. just really start. Pretend like you do want to buy a property today and just be in there looking at pricing, paying attention to what goes on with properties. And, you know, I don't think we're going to be in a position to buy real estate for at least another six months, maybe even a year. Okay. Um, Now, the problem you're going to run into is as housing prices and property prices are coming down, interest rates are going up, but you may have cash, right? Or quite a bit of cash. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. So then interest rates won't matter or they won't matter as much. Maybe you have to borrow some money, but you don't have to borrow a lot. Um, But just just become the, it's, it's kind of what I do. I mean, I read real estate listings darn near every day in the area that I'm in. Because I'm, I'm looking for property almost all the time. I just went and looked at a property um, a week or two ago. And I, was, I, I saw it. I thought, God, that's exactly what I'm looking for. Exactly. And we have not been able to find a property like this for like three or four years. I've been watching. And we went over and looked at it, absolutely fell in love with it. It's got all this river frontage and... I, it was stunning. And I looked at the price and I said, as much as I want this, I can't do it. I, that is overpriced. And Lisa said, let's call the realtor and see. And I said, I have a feeling there's going to be an awful lot of interest in this property. And we called the realtor. They already, it, this was like the first day it was listed because I watch listings almost every day. And they already had seven offers. And the agent can't really tell you what any of the offers are. But I said, are we talking above um, asking price offers? And he said, yeah, this thing's going to sell for more than what they're asking. 
And I said, okay, I'm not interested. I wasn't even interested at the asking price as much as I loved it. Absolutely loved this property. There's no way I was going to pay the asking price. And they already had seven bids over the asking price. Mm, okay. Yeah. That's, I guess the desirable properties are already sold. And I, I've been going through that a lot myself. Uh, even in 2009, there was this log cabin that I wanted to look at in Crestline, uh, in Southern California, up in the mountain ski resort town. And, uh, it was only 99,000, a log cabin. Beautiful. And, uh, but as soon yeah. as it came up, it was already pending. <laughs> well, so that's why you I run start into watching that all every, the time. Yeah, it's why you start watching every day and you become the expert on pricing. When I looked at that property at that price, I thought, no way. As much as I love it, as much as these kind of properties are rare and I really want one, I'm not going to pay that for it. And I'm pretty sure that a year from now, I'll, be, I'll, I'll find a property like that at a much, much lower price. I'm sure of it. Mm, okay. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm doing is just saving that money. Perfect. Uh, ready, ready for that down payment uh, as much as I can. Yep. Uh, and you know, I don't know if I want to buy property and put a home on it or buy an existing property. You know, I'm just kind of going so, back and forth on that. Let me help you with that. If you are on the fence about whether you should build a house or buy a property with a house already on it, buy a property with a house already on it. Okay, why? The only people who should build a house are the people who are absolutely in love with the idea of building a house, that they want, you know, everything exactly the way they want it to be. But I will also tell you this, if you are truly doing custom building, where some, you're going to have somebody draw you plans and then you're going to say, I want outlets here and I want this room to be like this. That gets really expensive. Custom building like that gets really expensive. But the other problem with it is it, is, it can be a huge headache. I went through this for about three years doing an addition. Um, and I, I, we're still dealing with some of the headaches. I'm glad we did it because I wanted this very specific property built the way I wanted it where, you know, someday it will probably be a bed and breakfast, but it is a headache and a hassle and it gets expensive. So if you said, look, I have this plan, I have this house in mind that I want it to be just like this. Okay then go do it and deal with the headaches and the hassle and the cost. But when somebody says to me, eh, I'm not really sure if I, if you're not sure you want to do it, absolutely don't do it. Okay. Got it. Yeah. I, I heard about the, the logistics of it, the, all the permits that you have to go through and stuff like that. Dealing with so. contractors and subcontractors. And I have, you know, Bruce and I were just talking about this the other day. He went through this with a contractor years ago, still hasn't got it resolved. So yeah, it, it's, um, there can be a lot of downsides to custom building like that. Like I said, if you're in love with it, you have this property you dream about, you absolutely want it, then go deal with it and do it. But if you're not, just buy okay. something that's already there. So it's financially uh better to buy something that's already there yeah it's kind of like buying a used car or a new car you're almost always going to pay more for the new car obviously um you know the house even though it appreciates year after year usually still sells less than and and there's a difference between just a new house 
and a custom house. I mean, you can go buy a new house from a builder that has basic plans and they build a house. That's not that big of a deal. But if you're going to buy property and then build, the reason for me to do that was because I want a very specific house. I don't want that cookie cutter set of plans that that builder has. Okay. 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 So, okay. A a fixer upper would be what I'd be going for, I think. Well, possibly. I mean, sometimes you can buy move-in ready because you don't want a bunch of projects, but you can save a lot of money if you buy, um, you know, something that needs some work and you're able to do some of the work. In today's world, if you buy a fixer upper and you think you're going to pay everybody else to fix it up, you're going to end up with a really expensive house. No, yeah, I would fix. I would only fix uh, buy a house that I know that I could fix myself. Perfect, perfect. Yeah, <laughs> that, sure. you can save yeah. a lot of money doing that. Okay, all right, all righty. Well, uh, thanks for answering my question. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Let's. Uh, okay, thank you. I am. Uh, I've got one more call here. I'm going to jump on. I. If another one comes in, I'll take it. So you got a couple minutes while I'm on this call if you want to jump in. If not, Tony, it looks like you might have the last word today. What's on your mind? Hello? Yep, it's your turn. Hello? Oh, okay. Hey, Kevin, I didn't hear that. Um, yeah, I was calling because, you know, you're always talking about having, you know, someone from the other side, you know, give you some different opinion. Yeah. Uh, you know, my, uh, it's not me. My brother, he's a big time diehard Democrat. He, he's, he and uh, one of the thing about it is you're open t- today talking about uh, the way people, you know, think. Right. And it's like just kind of fits right in the way my brother is. He he's a uh, uh, he well he, he's a pastry chef, so he's a real. Uh, you know, artist type person. Yeah, you know, it's just the way he thinks. He's really intelligent. I mean, you know, when it, you know, really intelligent. But as far as you know, doing stuff towards life, complete opposite. You know, yeah. I, I, I tried to try to help him out. You know, how to you know save a couple hundred dollars a month. Right. Couldn't do it. Absolutely could not do it. But uh, anyway, we've we've had a couple of conversations, you know, as far as politics and stuff. Yeah, which I had to stop. I said I can't talk to you about this anymore. Right, <laughs> that's it was a smart like, move, by the way. It, yeah, because every time I come into the house, he has MNSBC. Oh, what do you call it? <laughs> MN, whatever it is, I, it's on you, twenty twenty four hey. seven. Hey, let me let me guess at something yeah. here. Do you listen to Sean Hannity yeah. once in a while? Uh, actually, I don't. Oh, the reason I said that was because you were kind of trying to figure out how you wanted to say MSNBC, and he always refers yeah. to it as MSDNC because DNC <laughs> is the Democratic yeah. National Committee, so he always calls it MSDNC. Yeah. And it, it can right. get confusing if you hear that enough times. Right. Yeah. And anyway, you know, it, it's on 
every, you know, almost 24-7. Every once in a while, I can get him to watch a baseball game or, you know, a movie. But other than that, he's got that channel on. And I was like, you know, I tried to talk to him about, hey, you know, that information, you know, because he always says that that is 100% the truth. And I said, no, it's not. <laughs> and he, he's, ah, oh, it gets so frustrating. But, um, you know, so many things, I tried to talk to him about, uh, uh, the cancel culture going on. He's like, that doesn't exist. I said, yes, it does. Of course it does. Uh, all you have to do, uh, yeah, it's like all you have to do is just don't watch that channel. You know, watch Fox News for a while and then go back to your channel or, you know, go back and forth. And he won't do it. He says, no. I go, hey, you, no matter what you watch, whether it's Fox or the other stations, whatever they say, there's pretty much is a lot of bullshit. Somewhere in between is the truth. Is what I tried to get him in. He he wouldn't acknowledge it. He says no. And so then I, you know. It, so here here's, it, if somebody truly doubts that cancel culture exists, I mean, I could spend the next three hours going through examples, but one example is so outrageous that you you, I don't know how anybody can deny it. The sitting president of the United States was deleted off of Twitter, but ISIS still has an account. Yep. Come on. Yeah. Come on. That is so outrageous. How can you justify that at all? Yep. And I was, you know, I, I couldn't even get him to acknowledge the fact that there's a difference of opinion and that's okay he was like no he, he was like you know everything that comes out of biden's mouth is you know like is law or you know something coming from god he's just like well, well I, I think here's one th- here's one thing about it back in the 80s and 90s he was he, he uh ran a restaurant in little rock arkansas across the street from the capitol there in Little Rock, yeah. And Hillary Clinton came in there to have lunch a couple of times a week. And okay. I think he was in love with her. I, I, that was, I mean, yeah, I, I, I guess I could see that. Here, here's the thing: you mentioned, you know, everything that comes out of Biden's mouth. I'm going to try not to yeah. be partisan here. I, I didn't like Joe Biden as a senator. Never really did at all. Didn't like him much as a vice president. Certainly don't like him as the president. So I I clear on where I stand on him. But let's just try to be realistic for a minute, honestly. And it's so hard to get the left to even talk about this. I don't, it's not that I disagree with what he's saying. I do, but that's not really the point I'm trying to make. The point I'm trying to make is if you are honest with yourself, what comes out of Joe Biden's mouth, it doesn't matter whether you agree with it or not, it's mostly incoherent. That's the problem. It's not that I, that I just totally disagree with his policies. I do, but I always have. That's nothing new. But what's new is he has dementia. It's clearly obvious, and that's the problem. Not that I disagree with his policies. You can't trust what he says. He's so damn incoherent. 
Yeah, and I, I don't understand why he can't see that because her mother has dementia. And it, he deals with it every day. You it's know, painfully I'm on the road, but I don't deal with it. Yeah. Yeah, he deals with it every day. But And, you know, the statement that he made the other day, it, how in the last month, the last six months, let's say since he was inaugurated, if we go back and add up all the times his staff had to clarify what he said, we're going to take out Russia. I mean, all these crazy statements he makes, and immediately his staff has to correct him and clarify and clean up the damage. And last week he actually came out and said he's pissed at them for that, that they should stop doing that because he means what he says. Yeah. Yeah, it's bad enough he's doing it with Russia, but if he pisses off China, it's a whole different story. And and he, he's going to just because, again, he's incoherent. He does not think clearly through what he says. But now he's defending yeah. it. He's actually saying all those times that they cleaned up and corrected him, that he doesn't want them to do that. He means what he says. So we should start taking him at his word. Yeah, I got uh, w- w- one more thing. Yeah, this was a couple of days ago, and it's like I had to leave. <laughs> but he was saying that, uh, you know, brought up inflation. He's like, there's no inflation. <laughs> he, he goes, it's not inflation. It's price gouging. Oh, it's oh the big my industries. God. So I- it, it's the industries. It, everything is stacked up in a warehouse somewhere tony so that uh, tony big industries can price gouge yeah i don't know i it doesn't sound like you need it but let me help you with this one too there's such a quick way to dispel this myth that i keep hearing that it's price gouging if mm-hmm. companies could price gouge why did they wait till mm-hmm. now yeah that makes no sense did something change in the law or regulations that allows them to price gouge? Nothing that I know of. It's still a free market. We still have antitrust laws. There, it's, it's an open market. There's lots of competition. But I, I, if companies can price gouge, what changed that now they decided to? The last 200 years of our company, they weren't price gouging us, but now all of a sudden they are? What changed? Yeah. And when the government says that, which they do, then my answer is, if they're price gouging, then they must be breaking antitrust laws, so go prosecute them then. Yeah, I wish I could bring that. I, I'm a horrible debater. So when, and when he goes off on these tangents, and because it, it, not only that, he sits there, he, he really doesn't work but so he sits there all day long on his phone looking up all this information and he's got i don't know where he comes up with all this stuff but he I, you know I, every time he opens his mouth he says hey look let's see here it's stuff on my phone and it's like oh gosh i just so. thought about something that might be fun like I said earlier, when you said you stopped talking to him about politics, I think that's a really smart move. It is. I mean, at some point, we have to yeah. realize some people we can talk about politics with, some people we can't. If we can't, we just shouldn't. It's just not worth it. 
especially if it's a friend or a relative or somebody we want to have a relationship with. Just ignore politics then. There's a lot more to life than just that. But, so I think that's a smart move on your part. But if you wanted to try something, it might be fun, I don't know. See if he'd be willing to come on the pit and all three of us will talk. Yeah, I've thought about that. If I could get him out of bed in the morning. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. um, Uh Look, I I might even do a special episode where we would do it later in the day for him. Yeah. Yeah, it might be fun. I'll, I'll talk to him about it. Yeah. And look, I'm, it, it's not like I'm going to be an asshole and jump down his throat and we're going to gang up on him. No, let, let's let's just make it kind of friendly. You know, let's let's just talk about some of these topics without, get, without getting all emotional about them. Yeah, it sounds good. You know, someone who, uh, who can actually do it. it because like I said, it, it, I, I, I can't debate, you know, it, you know, be, because I don't, I don't spend time and a lot of time looking up all this stuff. You know, that's all he does. He says he's got all these facts. He can back up everything. So, you know, it's kind of hard for me to, you know, even if I could debate, you know, I don't spend time looking up all this stuff. But I just go by, you know, you know, to try to keep up on headlines. But, you know, yeah. going in depth and, you know, research and stuff like that, I, I, I don't do that, you know. And, and most people don't, because if you try to go down that road, you could end up spending all day doing it. Yeah. You know, I, I think you, you spend time uh, to, you know, learn a little bit about topics and, and issues you're really interested in. Uh, but I, I'm going to cut you loose. Um, we're going to wrap this okay. up here pretty quickly. Uh, Rolling Toe is coming up in uh, about five minutes. So I've got to wrap this up. I'm going to grab one more call real quick. Uh, Randy in Illinois. What can I help you with in a couple minutes? Yeah, real quick, Kevin, ho- hopefully. Um I'm buying a, a government I bond personally. Oh, hey, Randy. Can I buy one? Ran- Randy? Yes. Let me, let me change yes. what I just said. You can take your time. I just got a message that we're not starting rolling toe till 10 o'clock. So we're in no hurry. I don't okay. have a, any other calls. If, say, if a call comes in, I'll take it. But right now, uh, you're the last and we're in no hurry. So go ahead. Yeah, no problem. Uh, yeah, I so said I was buying a, a government I bond. Uh, personally, can I buy one as an entity through my business using my EIN I, at the same time? I believe you can. Let me go check because there's another series of bonds the government puts out called EE bonds. Um, and I want to make sure I'm not confusing the two. Uh, I bonds. I was going to just go ahead and try it, even if I didn't think I could get away with it, but uh, let me check real quick. This one know. should be easy to answer. Um, I think even DuckDuckGo can help me with this one. Um, I just want to make sure yeah. I'm not confusing the two because sometimes I get these right. confused. Yes. On that last guy, yes, I think we can. have the same brother. So, <laughs> yeah, so you can. You can buy I-bonds through an oh, entity that you own. Yeah, because I wanted to put a little more in there. I, I sit there doing nothing, so. Yep, yep, you can do, do that. that. Excellent. That's about it, Kevin. All right. 
Thanks for the call. Uh, looks like that's going to do Lady it for today. Um, yep. Great. Uh, great. Com- oh, we've got some coming in. Um, you know what? I said if calls came in, I would take them. They made it in under the wire. So, uh, Brittany, go ahead and screen those. Um, we've got them coming in. So uh, I'll take them. Uh, looks like maybe it's maybe just one. I think we dropped the other one. Um, and then coming up at 10 o'clock, I thought it might be 930. And I'm talking about Pacific Coast time now, West Coast time. Um, well, roughly in about a half hour. In a half hour, wherever you happen to be, um, Mike and Kevin Beckett will be doing another awesome episode of Rolling Toe. So stay tuned for that. What else? Um I, I still had a ton of things on my list this morning I wanted to talk about. I only talked about one of them, and I had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven topics this morning. All kinds of things caught my interest this morning in the news. I'll save them for tomorrow. Tomorrow's a freaky Friday anyway, so I've uh, got a bunch of little odds and ends there we can talk about tomorrow at the Open. Right now, we'll head off to Indiana. Kurt, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. Thanks for the call. Uh, this is about money. Okay. And money is powerful. And what do we do with it? And, and what is uh, apparent from your comments? And my, I believe in the same way. Uh, but when is the bottom? And so that kind of picture of when do you, or from, from the aspect of investment, and then also from the aspect to pick up the where it was left off on the real estate and or vehicles. Okay. So when do you go? You know, investing, you can just, I've heard this, you just do it every, you know, just consistently every month. Yep. If you're just going to do like a, the fund, uh, you know, an S&P 500 fund or something, it seems pretty basic. I've been against that, and I think I've... Uh, kind of lost some on that but uh, in any case that's that's the gist of it it's about the money hey, hey, and Kurt. piles of money Kurt. yeah so that investing every month steadily and ignoring what the market is doing we call that dollar cost averaging it's a it's a term it's specific it's a strategy and you said you know you it seems so basic you kind of went against it you think you lost a little bit of money join the club Everybody who tries to go against that strategy will end up losing money. The other option, other than dollar cost averaging, is really trying to time the market. And there are people out there who teach market timing. Look at their results. They're horrible. Most good, solid investors and and people who give investment advice will tell you don't try to time the market. You can't. The professionals can't. Now, that doesn't mean that we can't use some timing and some logic and think about things. Here's a good example. If somebody were to call me today, and I've had calls like this in the past, if somebody were to call me today and say, I just inherited $100,000, what should I do with it? Should I put it in the stock market? Not all at once, not in today's market. Oh, hell no. There's not much room for upside, and there's a lot of room for downside. I might even tell them, let's just stick it in the bank and 
figure out a schedule on how to get it into the market. Maybe you start with just investing $500 a month right now. And if you think about it, how long is it going to take us to get 100000 into the market at 500 a month? A long time. But at some point, we would change that strategy. If we see that we are getting closer to what looks like a traditional bottom, then maybe we bump it from 500 a month to 1,000 a month. Then if we actually see the market starts to climb again two years from now, then we might go to 5,000 a month or even 10,000 a month to get it back into the market. So we're kind of using a little bit of market timing But for the most part, if you're going to invest into the stock market, you should just pick an amount and put that money in every month. If you're going to try to time the market a little bit, time it with extra money. Does that make sense? It does. It does. And I just got to get going on it. It's been too long. I had saved a bunch of cash for a purchase of a house, and uh, I haven't done that, which brings me around to the purchasing of things. And I heard your comment before the other gentleman, uh, that, that kind of same idea carries over to my the second question of houses and vehicles, uh, personal, not so much business, but personal vehicles. I've been holding off for a long time. I don't know. So let me give you <laughs> my, my thoughts on some of this. First off, it almost sounds to me like you think you've done the, like you've made some mistakes, like you saved all this money for a house, but you haven't bought a house yet. You haven't invested yet. Uh, You have done exactly the thing you should have been doing during this time. I don't think you made any mistakes at all. I've been saying for three years, pay down debt, save cash. I really haven't been talking a lot about investing or buying things. I've been telling people pay down debt and save cash. It's hard to go wrong in any environment, saving cash. Now, at some point, you do want to get your cash to work earning a little money. But the fact that you're sitting on cash, I think that means you've done a lot of things right. You've put yourself in a good position. So, you know, talk about, you know, buying houses and buying personal vehicles. Houses... Yeah. Okay. Well, um, I want to separate these two because these two are very different. Let me tell you why. A house, even though, of course, we're going to live in it, we're going to gain some benefit from it. Houses can be some of the best investments we will make in our lifetime. Properties and houses, even the house we live in can turn out to be one of our best investments. Cars, vehicles, Unless you're some sort of a collector and you're, you know, going to invest in high-end muscle cars from the 80s or something, and you understand that market, cars are never an investment. Cars are always just a pure expense. So if we wanted to be completely financially responsible, you know, you would have a 2007 FJ Cruiser which is what I have with, you know, I've had it since it was new and I'm planning on keeping it probably another 10 years. Uh, Now I have another vehicle, you know, we have a Range Rover that's four or five years old, whatever it is now, but I'll probably keep that thing forever too. Um, If I buy another new car in the next couple of years, it would only be because I want an electric car. And that would be no investment of any kind. It would just be, I have the money, I want one, I'm going to go buy one. But don't ever think of vehicles as an investment. Vehicles are always an expense. 
a hundred percent. I agree. And it's gotten to the point where, uh, I think my average age of vehicles, uh, is probably like an Oh three. So, and, and I don't have Perfect. a problem with them. I, exactly. I, I, I actually really, I actually really enjoy them. Good. My challenge has come now in life is that lifestyle has changed. And with that, some vehicle requirements change. Okay. Then, so, that's where that's based off yeah, of. So. Then, then that's fine. But we we look at it as an expense, not as an investment. And that, that makes things very different. There is an argument when you're buying property or houses that, especially if you're just a little bit of a risk taker, that it makes sense to buy more house than what you can even afford. Now, that's a, it's a little risky, but that's looking at it more as an investment. I might take some risk. I might push a little and buy a property that's maybe even a little out of my comfort range because it's an investment. And if I spend 200000 and it goes up 10%, I make 20000 but if I can stretch and buy a property for 300000 and it goes up 10%, I made 30000 So you look at an investment differently. Now, if I go to look at vehicles, I almost do the opposite. What is the least amount of money I can spend to get a vehicle that fits my needs? Or, or I look at it as I really want that vehicle and it's just a purchase I'm going to make and I, it's not an investment. I, I'm just buying it because I want it. Understood. And so all that being said, and I appreciate your thoughts, what, you know, I get it about waiting and there's, you know, the market I haven't looked today is up and down and all over the place and has nothing to do necessarily with the market, but it has to do with some level of timing in regards to these assets and re and expenses. So, um, any thoughts? And I heard you're about the real estate, I guess the vehicle side life, uh, if it starts making sense, dollars and cents and it makes dollars and cents i guess that's that's the way you almost just like a business expense right either it makes sense or it does right yeah now timing on the market where do i think we are i think that um because politics is so wrapped up in our market now more than ever that i don't think i'm going to make any big decisions till after november I think these midterms are going to have a huge impact on our world and our economy and, and everything. So I, I just don't think it makes much sense to make a lot of big financial decisions between now and November. And I hate the fact that politics has gotten to this point that it, it really does affect so many areas of our life, but it does and you can't ignore it. So I think we'll know a lot more by January of next year, what we I, I think we'll have more clear signals. I'm hoping we do. There's no guarantee that we will, but I'm hoping by January of next year, we'll have more clear signals on where we're going with the economy and, and where the market is going. Real estate um, will probably follow a fairly similar pattern. Uh, but here's an example of the advice I was giving that last caller to become an expert on his own market. Um, I've been watching real estate here in the gorge, uh, both on the Oregon and Washington side since I moved here 10 years ago. And I just saw a very, very clear pattern change. I get newsletters at virtually every day 
listing all the new properties that either went on the market or sold in this market. And the interesting thing was for the last year, almost every single week when I got that newsletter, the prices of everything had gone up from the week before. That was the pattern and it almost never changed until about three weeks ago. And now the last three weeks, every single property that's listed, every one of them had a price reduction. Not an increase, a price reduction, three weeks in a row. That's the kind of patterns you want to start learning in whatever you're going to invest in. Makes sense. Well, I appreciate the thoughts and uh, we'll keep it going. All right. Thanks for the call. Good stuff. Let's go to Missouri. Travis, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. How you doing? Good. What's on your mind today? Um, I'm trying to understand a profit and loss statement. I pay a tax company to, to do this for me. I send in my receipts and my settlements and, and they it, put it on the spreadsheet for me. Uh, is it ATBS? Uh, yes, it is. Okay. And, and I ask because um, there aren't that many companies in the trucking industry that actually do P&Ls for their clients. I know they do, and I'm very familiar with theirs. I don't know if you know or not. I worked with them for over a year. I sold my accounting company to them. Yeah. Okay. So I'm really um, familiar, so uh, I understand the layout of their profit and loss and how it looks and all that. So go ahead. Okay. I've been using them for about three years and I, I never really, you know, I just, I, I look on there to see what's going on, but I never really paid real close attention to how they're entering the numbers. Okay. So and Trav- what or, caught my Travis, let me, yeah. let me stop you there. I'm going to let you go on with your question, but I want to jump in because this is a really important point. And when I started my tax and accounting company in 1990, We had a program where just like you do with them, you send them all your receipts, the company might download their settlements, you may give them your settlements, whatever it is, you give them all your documentation, they do all of your accounting and they put it into a P&L and then you have the P&L to look at, right? Yes. That was my model in 1990 and I was around before ATBS. I talked to Todd Amon, the owner of ATBS in 1999 when they were getting started. Um, In 1990, I had a program just like this. We thought it was the best thing ever. We're going to make owner operators so damn successful. We'll show them exactly how to understand their numbers. We'd do all the work. We'd send them a P&L. I would personally call every one of our clients about two weeks after we sent out the P&Ls. And I would say, hey, do you want to go through your P&L and I'll help you out with it? Ah, you know what? I don't really have time right now. Maybe we'll do it next week. Um, you know, I'll call you back or I'd go through it and I, I could kind of tell they weren't really paying attention or they didn't get it. And after several years of doing that, I thought I'm doing something wrong here. I'm not helping nearly as many people as I thought I would. I'm sure they're getting their tax return done and we're saving them a bunch of money on taxes, but nobody really seems to pay attention to this profit and loss. And what you just said, I think is exactly why you don't have enough involvement in it to understand it. So we, we rolled out a second program where 
instead of sending all of your receipts to us and we put it into our software, we'll just give you access to our software. You put it in yourself. You'll have your own account. You put in your own accounting numbers. We'll still do your tax return. We'll look at your profit and loss anytime you want and help you with it. And that was a game changer. The people that actually started doing their own bookkeeping, I don't even want to call it accounting, it's bookkeeping. It's really, it's third grade math for the most part. The people who did, we went back after about three years and I I tore into the numbers. And uh, on average, we would compare the people who were doing their own bookkeeping with the people in our program who did our bookkeeping. Now, they're both using the same software, same services. One does the data entry theirself. One pays us to do the data entry. Profit margins were over 13% higher for the people who did it themselves. Now, okay. Uh, well, I, I kind of steering towards, towards doing that myself. That, that's kind of what I want to do now. But I, I want to know if they're entering the information correctly. I, I don't feel they, they are. And okay. I need to know if I need to do it the same way they're doing it or, or the way I'm thinking it needs to be done. Okay. Well, I can help and you with that. Let's go what, through it. Uh, what, what, what put a red flag on me, uh, the entire month of April, my truck was in the shop. So I, I had zero miles uh, on my statement, zero income. Everything should have been zero for April. So uh, didn't work at all. And uh, I, I got on my P&O report and I looked and I'm, I'm showing for April, you know, 1,400 miles. I'm showing the income for, and, and I'm showing fuel purchases, 1,300 in fuel purchases. And I, so I called them me, and I said, well, I didn't. Let me explain yeah, to you how something like that could have happened even in our system when we did it. And let me also tell you this, it's not, it's probably not as critical as you think it might be. There are two, let's go back to the basics. There are two reasons we keep numbers. There are two reasons we do bookkeeping and really only two reasons. So once we identify why we do something, then it makes it a little easier to say, oh, okay, does this make sense or not? So the first reason we do bookkeeping at all is because the IRS says we have to. We have to file a tax return and we have to be able to show them we made this much, we spent this much, and there was this much left. They don't care whether it was April or November. All they care was it was 2022. That's all that matters. Your tax return doesn't break anything down by the month, the week, the quarter. It's just totals for the year. So as far as the first reason we do this, we can ignore this. doesn't matter that it was April or May or March or whatever. It just doesn't matter. The second reason we keep records, which want to me is the really the most important. We have to do taxes, but the more important reason to do it is so we know how to run our business. We know if we're profitable, we know where we're spending our money and we can look to, you know, create a budget or cut back somewhere or, you know, make better decisions or whatever it might be. Should we buy a new truck because our maintenance costs are so high? We, we do bookkeeping so we can make good business decisions. Now, in that case, I do like to look at things each month and compare things month to month. So we, we want to be close to accurate, but what can happen a lot of times is you did the work for somebody in March, but you may not get the settlement 
until April. Well, it that's doesn't, exactly what happened. Yeah, and it doesn't really matter if you enter it in March or April. I do tell people be consistent, and ATBS is consistent. I know their system. I know why this happened. We did the exact same thing. For settlements, the date we choose to enter is the date on the settlement. So if you did the work on March 27th, but the settlement comes in for that work and it's dated April 3rd, we're putting those numbers in April because that makes more sense. If we tried to put them in March, if we ever have a mistake and we go back and look, it would be like, why the hell are these numbers in March? Everything dated is April. So that's why it can happen. It really only affects a couple days or a week through the transition, and it evens itself out over the years, or over the months, I mean, throughout the year. So this is exactly how we did it. This really is the best way of doing it. Okay. Um, what happens uh, in December? Let's Good say I, I, I work last week of December and don't get paid until. Yep. And I I will tell you that if whoever is doing your accounting at ATBS is doing it correctly, the way they're trained and taught, because I understand their system, then your numbers are right. And we can explain it. So if you pull, if you do work in the last week in December, but you don't receive the payment for that work till the first week in December, that is, or or I mean, January of the next year, that is income Mm -hmm. that gets put into the next year because it's when you received it. You're what's considered a cash basis taxpayer, which is a simple way of doing it. If you wanted to book that income in December, because you would say, well, that's when I earned it. I'm going to book it in December you would have to become what's called an accrual-based taxpayer, and I can promise you your accounting will get a lot more complicated. Don't do it. Right. What about fuel purchases and expenses that that came out? When the money... Now, this can get a little weird. No, it's not. So if you charge fuel to your company credit card in the last week in December, but they actually don't take it out of your settlement till December 3rd when you get your settlement or whatever date it was, then that is an expense that goes into the next year. Because that's when okay. you so Technically, I did expense. purchase it the next year then. Correct. Yep. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I just wanted to clear that up before I did start doing this on my own and uh, entering the numbers like that. Okay. That makes sense to me now. Yep. That's, that's how you do it. And really, like I said, those are the accounting rules for a cash basis taxpayer. And it's actually really simple and it is a much better way of doing it. Okay. Well, that'll work. That's all I had. I appreciate it. We actually hired our first, um, when we first started this this particular company, um, Let's Truck, back in 2007, um, I did all of our accounting and our tax work. And I did it for several years. And then, you know, we grew, we incorporated, things got a lot more complicated. We had partners. Um, so eventually, I we hired our first bookkeeper. And then we got an accountant to do the tax work because uh, it was just getting to be too much for me. My first bookkeeper, and I have no formal bookkeeping or accounting training, none. 
I do have training in financial planning. I'm a certified financial planner. Taxes, I'm mostly self-taught. Accounting, I'm completely self-taught. So when we hired this first bookkeeper and she came in and she said, oh my God, why are you you using cash basis? You need to be on accrual now. And so she switched us over and I kind of thought, I don't think I want to do this. But because I didn't have a lot of formal training, I went along with her. Six months later, our accounting was an effing disaster. And I, we, we ended up firing her and we went back to cash basis. Accrual sucks. All right. Well, that sounds good. That's, uh, I answered everything I had for you. All right. Perfect. We, uh, that's going to do it. We're going to wrap this up. Wow, man. I almost, uh, ran right back into rolling toe again. All right. I'm going to wrap this up. I'll go set up uh, the system for Mike and Kevin Beckett, and they will be out here in about seven minutes. So stay tuned. Thanks for joining me today. We'll see you back here tomorrow for Freaky Friday and Trucking Technology and Efficiency. Be safe, be profitable, be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey.